Well, as we've already been reflecting, this week has been an incredibly difficult week. And it's difficult because I know some of us have known people who've been caught up in it directly. Others may know people indirectly. It's also been horrific because it's been so close to home. It all took place in a place that many of us have been to, in an area of the city that many of us know well. And when something happens close to home, we can't blank it out and say this is somebody else's issue. We can't defer it to another area or say this doesn't belong to us somehow. And as I've been reflecting this week, I've thought long and hard about what on earth do we talk about this morning? What do we share? What do we bring from God's word? And I did think, shall we look at something totally different? Shall we not go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12? But actually I thought, well, if at the end of the day we can't speak about the gifting that God gives to his church in light of what has happened, then I think we're probably on the wrong page somewhere. So we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. And for me, really, there's a question that keeps on coming back to me over this week. In light of what has happened this week, in light of a world where there are people who, in the name of of some kind of religious fanaticism and extremism, think that they are serving some higher purpose by blowing up innocent children, what is our response? What are we for as the church? What is the purpose of the church? So I have changed what I was going to share in some extent. So I'm not going to unpick the whole of this passage verse by verse to look at every gift and its application directly. In a sense, what we're going to do this morning is look at this from, if you like, the high ground, the high level, and say, what is God calling us to as purpose rather than application? So if you think there's a lot I'm going to miss out this morning, you're probably right. There will be a lot I miss out. But what we will do is come back and look at this passage again and along with the latter part of it in September, and we'll go do a bit more sort of practical teaching on it. But if you've got a Bible in front of you, and you want to turn with me to the reading, we're on page 1088, and I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm just going to read the first 11 verses. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Let's pray again. Loving God, this is your word to us today. We submit ourselves to your word. And we pray that something that is said this morning somehow will resonate 
in our lives and bring about transformation that you desire so that we may more effectively share the good news of Jesus with our world. In Jesus' name, amen. In modern evangelical churches, perhaps one of the most contentious things to talk about is gifts of the Holy Spirit. You may be sat here this morning and your blood pressure is starting to rise. Your pulse is racing and you're probably thinking, what on earth is he going to say about this this morning? Because there are so many different interpretations of these verses. So many different ways people have looked at them. And since the 1960s, really in this country, and the start of the charismatic movement, this has become quite a significant issue that churches have grappled with. Now, my history is that I've grown up in churches that have been influenced by the charismatic movement. And growing up as a child, it wasn't commonplace, but it was, it was fairly normal for some of these gifts to be exercised. Over the, the years, um, I've heard loads of sermons on spiritual gifts, about um, things like finding your own gift, using your spiritual gift, developing your spiritual gifts. In fact, I think the second thing I ever did here was a seminar on developing your spiritual gifts. So this is something I've heard a lot about and taught a lot about. We've then got other questions that arise. Are all these gifts for today? We'll come back to that one in a few moments. But the events of this week have brought into very sharp focus in question of what has happened this week, in the light of the brokenness of the world in which we live. What are we about? What are we, as holders of the gospel truth, as disciples of Jesus Christ, commissioned to share the good news? What are we about? I'll keep asking that question as we go through. Look at verse 1. Paul is keen that the church is educated about gifts of the Holy Spirit. What Paul is talking about here, he's not talking about natural ability. He's not talking about, you know, somebody who is good at football, or somebody who's good at knitting, or good at whatever natural gifts we may possess. But he's talking about gifts that the original word in the Greek is charismata, the gifts that the Holy Spirit, the grace gifts that the Holy Spirit alone gives. Verse 2, before their conversion, the Corinthians were not atheists or agnostics, they were very religious people, many of them, but they were pagans. And they would go to the temples around Corinth, and they would worship the different gods, And quite often, whatever pagan worship was, boring certainly wasn't one of the things. They would get themselves whipped up into frenzies, and they'd have these sort of experiences, and they'd have um, these states of ecstasy even. And all sorts would break out. And what Paul is doing sort of in verse 2 is coming in and saying, actually, you know, these kind of experiences, these things you were experiencing with the idols, experience alone isn't an indicator of truth. You know, you think how many experiences we have in life. You can have um, good experiences through a piece of music. You can have good experiences by taking various substances that change the mind. doesn't mean they're right, but you can have those experiences. But for Paul, truth has to be underlined by the reality of a life that is given over and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A life that says, yes, I want to love one another as Jesus has loved me. To forgive one another to love our enemies. And it's this Jesus who gives gifts by his Holy Spirit to the church. Like I said, my my experience of growing up in in church as a child um, was with church influence by some of these gifts of the Spirit. But one of the most difficult times I've been in church was in the mid-1990s. Now, at that point, I was a 
sort of older teenager, sort of 19, 20, that sort of age. And I was in a church that was impacted quite heavily by the Toronto Blessing. Um, I don't know if some of you were around at that time and Christians and, and may have had various experiences as that. Now, I don't want to comment on the Toronto Blessing per se this morning, but for the church that I was in, it was not a positive experience. The church split at that point. Sixty people went off and set up a church where they were going to seek after experience. What happened? That church fell apart. Within three months, it had collapsed with bitterness and division and things going totally wrong. And the pastoral fallout lasted for many years. Eventually, many of them came back into the original church. There was great reconciliation. But at the time, it caused a great deal of pain. I spent quite a while in the years after reflecting what had gone on there. And I wonder if it was actually that the church hadn't taken note of what Paul said here. Experience isn't the thing that we're after. Submitting to the Lordship of Christ and to him is what the church is about. And there may be times together where, yes, we experience God in powerful ways, but we submit to him first. We don't go off with our own agendas. Was it for the common good? Verse 7. We'll keep coming back to this verse as well. Just hold that in mind. You see, sadly, all too often in the recent history of the church, and I know some of the experiences here in the past have been that things have gone wrong exactly around this area. And this is what had happened in Corinth. Things were going wrong around the spiritual gifts. People thought that if they had certain gifts, it made them look really spiritual, and other people should sort of take special notice of them and put them on pedestals. But look at what verse 4 says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. The same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit. So my view of what comes next, in light of what I believe is a straightforward reading of Scripture and backed up by the evidence of the, the church history of the, the next few centuries and then the millennium, the two millennia afterwards, is that these gifts, all of them, are available to the church until the return of Jesus Christ. That they are available. These have been given and they will not be taken away until that day that Christ returns. Yes, one day they will cease. I think Chris, in a couple of weeks, will be bringing us a message from the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, where it says tongues will cease, prophecy will cease. But they will only cease at that time when Jesus has returned and the kingdom is fulfilled. This doesn't mean, though, that every church will have all of the gifts all of the time, I don't believe. And it certainly doesn't mean that every individual becomes a walking encyclopedia of gifts of the Spirit and and is everything to everybody. It's according to God's will and purposes, not our own agenda. You know, when we let God be God and we don't try and be God, it takes an awful lot of stress out of life. If we come to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, if you want to gift me with something for the common good... I'm here. But if you want to give it to somebody else, do that. Then it just removes the stress out of the situation. And I think some churches, you know, get very panicky if particular gifts aren't being evidenced. But actually, you know, if God is God and Jesus is Lord of the church and we're submitting to him, again, the stress goes out of the situation. It's not my job to push an agenda. It's not any of our jobs to do that. It's just our role to come in submission to the Lordship of Christ, who by his Spirit will equip his church. The same Spirit is at work 
through all the gifts. And in a couple of weeks' time, we will cover in a bit more detail, as Paul does, the two gifts that were causing particular issues in Corinth, prophecy and tongues. I don't think the church has learned an awful lot in 2,000 years sometimes. But we have to add to these gifts here, the other gifts of the Spirit that Paul talks about in other places. So if you've got time at some point, go and look at Romans 12, verses 3 to 8, Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 13, and a couple of other places where different gifts are mentioned, like the gift of celibacy. That's not one I hear many people clamoring for, nor is the gift of martyrdom. These are not gifts that are high up on the list. But there are things like the gift of helps, you know, being open and helpful to one another. I've mentioned before the gift of administration. I'm on my knees begging for that one, but the Lord won't give it to me. There are all these different gifts, but it's the same spirit. You know, if we want to be godly, if we want to be biblical, if we want to be Jesus-centered Christians, we need to be open to all that the Holy Spirit has to give us. If we neglect what God has given us, or we won't seek after what the Lord has for us, then I believe as the body of Christ we are fundamentally weaker. Because that which God has given for us, if you like, is the scaffolding of the church, is removed. And we don't operate in the way that Jesus calls us to be. The church is to be rooted in the word of God, empowered by and through the Holy Spirit, submitting to the Lordship of Christ. And so a challenge for us. Are we submitting to Christ? Are we in submission to the Lordship of Jesus? Are we open to receive what God may have for us? We see to this point, I think we can become easily unstuck. It was Nathaniel's birthday, our our younger one's birthday, um, last weekend. And we gave him an option. We said to him, you can either have a big party or a big present. But it's not a both and. (laughs) So he sat and he thought about it for a while and he came back with his reasoning. He went for the big party. Do you want to know the reasoning? Kids will bring presents. Good one, John. (laughs) So he sat there and he thought, if I have the big party, I get to go to, to, what was it called, Jump Warehouse. All these trampolines everywhere. He could bring eight friends, that's what we said. Eight friends. The going rate for a primary school present is £10. You may be gasping. In my day, it was £2.50 or £3 or something. So there he will get either £80 or £80 of the presents. Now he's then thinking, that's more than you'd spend on me, Mum and Dad, if, you got, if I got a big present. But you know, when you're a kid and you get given a present, there's a danger that you do this with it. And you say, this is mine. Not sharing, not giving it away, not using it, it's mine. And some of his presents included things like boxes of chocolates. And we had to watch him because he got some after eight mints, which were his favourite. So he goes up to his bedroom, and you just see the wrappers all around. And the danger is, is that you just think, this is for me. This is all about me. And you know, the danger is, I think, when we read all this about spiritual gifts, we can do exactly the same thing. And we start to think, this is about me. It's about my ministry. It's about what God has equipped me to do. It's then about me finding places to serve. And if we take it to the nth degree, we we just end up building and building and building until it doesn't even resemble anything to do with the submission to Jesus. It's all about me. Now, it's a perfectly good question to say, how can I develop what God has given me? How can I discover what my spiritual gifts are? How can I pray and seek the Lord for them? Those are really good questions, and those are the kind of things we'll probably come back to in September. But if we start there, I think we miss the point of the passage. 
If we start there, we miss the point. Look at verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Just read that again. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What are the gifts for? They're not to give me great experiences. They're not to make you look spiritual. They're not to give us a specific ministry that ends up with our name on a private jet. It's for none of those things. It's for the common good. It's for the common good. It's for the building up of the church. They are the sign that God is at work by his Holy Spirit to reach into the lives of the broken people of this world whom God loved enough to send his son to die for. That is what the common good is about. Whether it's praying for healing, whether it's bringing wisdom to a situation, sharing the knowledge of God, bringing something prophetic in the sense of bringing something that is on God's heart into a situation, whether it's dealing with the powers of darkness, the NIV, I think, rather clumsily translates that as miraculous powers, but that's what it's on about, or whether it's about the simple faith to pray that God is at work, or whether it's prayers offered in a language given by the Lord, or the ability to interpret that language so that others can say amen at the end. Whether it's any of those things, it's the Holy Spirit equipping the church to make us more effective. It's not for our own benefit. You know, we shouldn't read this and think, brilliant, this means we become as exciting as the pagan temple down the road. It's nothing to do with that. It's about sharing the love of Christ with the brokenness of the world. You know, I've sat through meetings over the years, sometimes in churches, sometimes in conferences, where this kind of stuff has been talked about or there's been evidence of people moving in these kind of areas. But I've had to say, sometimes I think we forget the common good part. We forget the very reason why Paul says the church is equipped and empowered. You know, we turn the church, if we do that, into an introspective place, a place that is purely about self-help and not about reaching the good news, reaching um, out into our communities with the good news. I was at um, Northern Baptist College earlier this week, and I was part of a panel interviewing prospective ministers, which is always actually really a real privilege to be part of, and actually quite good fun at the same time, because you get to ask all other people the difficult questions that I got asked once upon a time. And um, it was actually really encouraging as well, just by the, the, the quality of the people coming through, and the sense that actually here were some people who were, were going to be absolutely fantastic church leaders of the future. But while we were there, this was on the, the um, Wednesday, Thursday this week, so a couple of days after the bombings had taken place in Manchester. And there was the helicopters flying around overhead from time to time. You could see armed police presence around certain buildings. And um, one of the lecturers at the college, a man called Glenn Marshall, I think some of you may remember him when he was at Altering and Baptist, he said at some point in the day, he said, I'm sorry, but I've got to go now because I've got to write an article for Christian Today about the college's response to the bombings that had taken place. I'm just going to read to you what he said, some of his article, but go and read the whole thing. Christian Today, um, you'll find it on um, the internet. But he says this, and he was relating it to the interview process we were going through. He says, we need leaders who will help churches become what all, they were always meant to be. Communities of the Prince of Peace, the healer, the lover of outcasts, the one who would eat with anyone, whether he was supposed to or not, the one who wept for Jerusalem, 
Any church that does not seek the welfare of its city is a contradiction in terms. Any church that forgets to build bridges of reconciliation forgets whose church it is. And any church that is content to let outsiders stay outside has lost its way and lost its sight of its Lord. Any church that thinks that this kind of stuff is none of its business is plain wrong. And so when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and ask that question again, what is the church for? What's our answer? What are we for? What are we about? And it led me to think about another question. If today, after our service, if we were to go out, lock the building, never to return, would Lim notice our absence? Would people notice that we'd stop meeting and worshipping together? Would they notice that actually we'd stop being the bridge builders in our communities? Stop going out sharing the love of God? Would people notice? Are we really committed to seeking the Holy Spirit for the common good, not just for our own, but so that Jesus is shared with our communities? Are we committed to being kingdom-minded people so that by the Holy Spirit's empowerment we can penetrate the darkness of this world? See, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about a world of upside-down values, a world that is so different to what we may be thinking about. I'm just going to read from Matthew chapter 5. You may want to close your eyes just for a moment, so do open them again when I've finished so I know that you're not dropping off. So this is Matthew chapter 5. Let's just spend some moments just in reflection. This is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those for hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What should our response to Jesus be this week? Do we want to be equipped for the common good, not only of the church, but of our communities? Do we want that? You can open your eyes. Will we pray for the equipping of the Holy Spirit? Do you know how God has equipped you? You may be sat here today and you think, well, I know how God has equipped you, equipped me. Are you doing anything about it? Are you using that for the common good? Perhaps you've been given a heart for healing already. That is what God has given you. Get praying for people. Seek the Lord after those who need help. Perhaps you've spent a lifetime in the Word of God and you've, you've become a person who people look to for wisdom. We need wisdom in the church, more today than ever. 
you're one of those people, we need to, to hear your, your thoughts and, and your wisdom. Perhaps today there are times when actually you feel God really impresses something directly on your heart. Maybe that, that sort of prophetic word, that insight into the heart of God. If that's you today and you feel God has said something, come and share it with me or with Chris or one of the other leaders. We need to hear what God is saying. Yes, we always need to caveat it with, I think the Lord may be saying. We need to say, let's weigh this against Scripture. Let's weigh this against what we know God has said. But we need to hear the heart of the Lord. Do we want to be kingdom people in a broken world? Well, we pray. As we've done this morning, we pray not only for those who are mourning, who need comfort, but we are radically called to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. That is the Jesus we serve who calls us to do that. We are called to be the peacemakers. We are called to be those who view everybody as a precious child of God, who Jesus longs to reach out to. We are called to to take the message of the gospel to everybody, because we are all sinners in need of a saviour, all in need of grace. It's our role to display the love of the saviour to the world, so that the world can hear and believe the good news. Come back to that question, what is the church for? What are we about? The church is the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in our communities. We are called to minister into the darkness of the world. Beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. On this week's of all weeks, I think we need to remember that the darkness will not overcome Jesus. Will not overcome. But we need to be his hands and feet, ready to serve, ready to be equipped, ready to be strengthened by all that the Holy Spirit will give us. Are we those people today? If that is you today and you want to be equipped by God, let's pray. Can I ask us all to stand together? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we see the brokenness of our world. When you were on this earth, your heart wept over Jerusalem, and I'm sure today your heart is weeping over Manchester. For those parents whose children never came home. For those people still injured in hospital. But it's also weeping for those who would do more acts of evil. And Lord, I want to pray for each of us here today that you will use us to bring your light into our communities. That we will take the message of the gospel in such a way that is transformative. So perhaps in your own heart today, perhaps if you just want to pray, Lord, I am here. By your Holy Spirit, if you desire to equip me in some new way this morning to serve, please would you do that?